probably all feeling that. And I'm hopeful that we will be able to spend this time just um, kind of slowing down and, re and reflecting. And um, I think my heart today is to, to let God's Spirit really welcome into this idea that He is present in all of these moments of our lives. He's present when we're out doing our jobs. He's present when we're driving in our cars. He's present when we're caring for our kids. And he's present right here as we sit and we just take a few minutes to just slow down. And to be very honest, I don't really remember that much about Tim. Sixth grade feels like a long time ago. I only knew him for about a year and I have no idea where his life took him from that time and place. I have no idea where he is now. And I don't remember Tim as being a particularly dynamic personality. He for sure was not that like stereotypical, like hyped up peppy youth pastor vibe sort of person. Like that was, that was not him. Um, I don't even remember anything really profound about like his sermons or his Bible teaching, um, which might sound bad. I'm sure they were great, but those were not the things that stuck with me. What did stick with me though, is that I can remember how I felt when I was with him. I remember with great clarity that whenever I was in a conversation with Tim, whenever I was around him, I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that I mattered. I knew I was worthy of attention and respect and consideration, that I had a place and a purpose. There was something about the way that Tim engaged people that communicated this deep sense of value and worthiness. Something about his unhurried presence and his very undistracted attention that communicated that I was beloved by God, that my life was rich with purpose, and that I had a significant role to play. And it affected me so deeply that I wanted to become a person like that. I wanted to become somebody who made other people feel seen and known and loved and valued. And that desire, it stuck with me and it's informed so many of the big and small decisions of my life. Tim's very simple efforts to communicate to awkward, insecure little middle schooler Julia planted these seeds of hope and confidence and purpose that have deeply influenced how I've lived and who I am today and who I'm still becoming. And here's the thing, Tim isn't famous. He's not the pastor of a mega church. He's not an influencer with a big following. He's never written a book or done a TED talk. He's never had any sort of a public platform that anybody would know his name outside of his own community. But I think something something that we often get caught up in is this idea that to make a real impact in the world, we have to do big things, things that other people can see. But Tim, he made a huge difference in my life just by living faithfully in the small moments. He allowed the orientation of his heart and the work of his hands to be guided by the example of his savior. And that humble imitation of Jesus had a profound impact on me, and probably other people too. Because in the kingdom of God, those small acts of faithfulness are not insignificant. Our humble imitation of Jesus 
can have a very profound impact. Today we are going to continue on in our study of the book of Acts together. And this is a theme that I think we're going to see woven through these stories. And if you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been primarily focused on the life of Saul, his encounter with the spirit of Jesus on the road to Damascus, his dramatic conversion from this person who was actively persecuting the church to somebody who then turned and was boldly preaching about the lordship of Jesus and who then encountered all of the opposition and threats against his life that came as a result of that. Now these last few verses of chapter 9, where we are today, the author of Acts, Luke, turns back to Peter, one of the apostles and the primary leaders of the early church, and he's who we're going to be learning from today. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll read the passage and get into it. Father, thank you for the gift of your presence. Thank you for the truth that um, it really is better to be in your presence than anywhere else. God, we know that this is not the only place that we can encounter your presence, but we thank you that it is a place that causes us to just pause, to maybe breathe a little more slowly. Pray that you would quiet the distractions, the running thoughts in the back of our minds, that you would help us to just um, hold our hands open to release our anxieties and frustrations, our anger and grudges, our pride. Give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say to us today, Father. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So this is Acts 9, 32 through 43. I'm going to read it, and you are welcome to read along um, on the screens or Bibles or phones or whatever you got. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. There, was a man, there he found a man named Aeneas who was paralyzed and had been bedridden for eight years. Aeneas, Peter said to him, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and roll up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up. All those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken to an upstairs room. All the widows stood around him crying, showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Peter sent them all out of the room, then got down on his knees and prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called for the believers, especially the widows, and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. So, 
What we have here is these three brief stories from Peter's ministry as a leader in the early church. And they center around three people, Aeneas, Tabitha, and Simon. Now, I'm really going to focus in on the central story in this passage about Tabitha. But before we get there, there's something that I wanted to just pay attention to. Peter's time, attention, and presence in all three of these stories is focused on a disabled person, a woman, and a tanner. And these three people have one thing in common. Society places all of them toward the outside. Aeneas, because he is paralyzed and unable to work and care for himself, knows what it is to live life on the margins. Tabitha, simply because she's a woman, she knows what it is to live without the rights and the freedom and voice and opportunity that most men in her society enjoy. And Simon, literally the only thing we know about him is that he's a tanner, but that's enough because as a tanner, he is making leather goods and clothing. And that means he has to skin and deal with the carcasses of dead animals. By Jewish law, that makes him unclean. And so he has to live on the outskirts of town, away from everybody else. Peter's time and attention, his intentional interactions in each of these, is a reflection of the example he's following. Jesus already showed his disciples this way, sharing meals with people that the law would have told him to shun touching and healing people that the law told him to stay away from, affirming and demonstrating love and value to people who were culturally invisible. His disciples are following in his footsteps. They're messengers of this expansive and inclusive gospel moving outward with their arms open to invite the outsiders in. And Peter's story, and any one of these towns, in any one of these encounters, it could have been one of preaching boldly in the public places or getting into these debates with the powerful people in front of the crowd. That's what a lot of his ministry in Jerusalem actually did look like. But here, instead, we see him stepping into these quiet moments, these more private moments with people on the margins, humbly imitating the work of his Savior. And it reminds us, in the kingdom of God, these small acts of faithfulness are not insignificant. Our humble imitation of Jesus can have a profound impact. Now I'd like to pick up where Peter has just healed the disabled man, Aeneas. While Peter is still in this town of Lydda, there's two messengers from the nearby town of Joppa that come rushing up to him with this urgent request. A woman named Tabitha has just died, and they beg Peter to come to her. Now, there's some pretty remarkable things about this scene. First, probably the most obvious, Tabitha's already dead. And yet these two disciples who heard that Peter was in the area, they've made a 10-mile journey from Joppa to Lydda to ask Peter to come back with them and help them. Why? Well, it seems Tabitha was a person who was deeply beloved in her community. 
Luke describes her as a person who was always doing good and helping the poor. And Luke also refers to Tabitha as a disciple. And that's significant because Tabitha is actually the only woman in the entire New Testament who is referred to by the title of disciple. And there's something else about this scene that I think is worth pointing out. Peter is sort of a big deal at this point in time. He's been in some pretty important places and done some pretty big things. He's widely known, he's respected, powerful leader in the church. He's considered one of the three pillars of the early church in Jerusalem. And it's very likely that Peter experienced this sort of celebrity status, or at least the equivalent in that time, in the sense that people knew his name, knew who he was, and people were talking enough about him that when he traveled places, people all around knew that he was going to be there. It's very likely that people would have felt somewhat intimidated by just walking up to Peter and asking something of him. And yet, that's exactly what these men did. They just threw away any caution and begged him to come and help their friend. And what does Peter do? He immediately attunes to their request, and he follows them to Joppa. Now, I'd like to pause for a moment, because I think it can be really easy to come to these stories, these little vignettes in the book of Acts, and consider just what's right in front of us. I think it's easy to forget that these moments, these little stories that we are kind of peering into from the outside, from many, many miles and many, many years away, that these are just small parts in a much bigger story. They're small parts of God's grand story of redemption that kind of covers the entire arc of Scripture. And they're also small moments in the lives of real people. And these moments are informed by the things that have come before, and they're going to affect the things that come after. So before we step into this scene, let's consider what Peter has come from, what Peter might be carrying with him as he arrives in Joppa and steps into all this grief and expectation in a community that's mourning the death of a beloved friend. So you will probably remember, Peter was one of the very first disciples that Jesus called. He started off as just regular old Simon the fisherman. And then Peter, not Peter, Jesus gave him a new name, Peter the Rock. Peter walked with Jesus through all three years of his ministry. He listened to Jesus' words. He watched his actions and his works. He witnessed Jesus transformative love, his boundary-crossing love. He shared Jesus' presence in all of those big public moments and in many other very intimate and private ones. And alongside Jesus, Peter witnessed these awesome displays of power and these moments of incredible victory. But Peter also carries with him a history of darkness of doubt and distortion and despair. We probably remember in a moment of very misdirected passion, Peter actually at one point rebuked Jesus himself. And you might remember Jesus' words back to Peter, get behind me, Satan. 
Peter fell asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane, failing to remain with his rabbi, even after he'd asked for him to stay awake. He failed his friend in that moment of great vulnerability and need. And when the soldiers came and tried to take Jesus away, Peter responded with violence, cutting off a man's ear. And Peter, Jesus, rebuked him again for that action. And we probably all remember Peter's greatest failure. In the midst of all of the chaos of Jesus' arrest and unjust conviction, his trial and his journey to the cross, Peter was given an opportunity to identify with Jesus to stand with him in his absolute darkest hour. But instead, he let fear and self-preservation overwhelm him, and he denied Jesus. Not once, but three times. Can you imagine his sense of utter failure? Just the crushing self-hatred that must have crept into his heart. And then the despair of knowing he just did that, and now Jesus is gone. Jesus is dead. And all of the confusion in this time of waiting and not knowing what was coming. But then, Peter heard a rumor of resurrection. And he went to the tomb, and he saw the empty tomb for himself. He was with the other disciples when Jesus just appeared in the room and he proved his sacrifice by showing them the wounds on his hands and his feet. And even in that moment of this sweet reassurance and hope, Peter still, he still had the memory of this ugly truth that he had abandoned Jesus. And then one day, Peter was out fishing. He was just back to doing what he knew he knew how to do. And Jesus appeared at the shore, probably in a place very much like the first place that Jesus called Peter to be his disciple. And in that place, Jesus very tenderly offered Peter reinstatement and redemption. And Peter took that. He watched Jesus ascend into heaven and return to his father. And then Peter led the community of believers in choosing the 12 apostles. Peter was there with them on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell and the flames were above everyone's heads and they were speaking in tongues. And he was the one who stood up to explain to that whole crowd what was going on. And he preached such a powerful sermon about Jesus that 3,000 people came to faith in one day. Peter continued on Jesus' ministry of preaching and teaching and healing. He healed a lame man at the temple gate called Beautiful. And then he preached to the crowd until he was seized and imprisoned and put in trial before the Sanhedrin. And even while he was on trial before these religious leaders, he kept on preaching about Jesus, even when they told him to stop. He was persecuted, brought before the Sanhedrin again, had his life threatened for speaking about Jesus. So all of these are the moments that have formed Peter up to this point. And this is the Peter who is now stepping into this scene. 
Will you try to imagine with me what it must have felt like? He's just very hurriedly traveled 10 miles, responding to this urgent call of some messengers sent to beg him to come. They've asked him to hurry, but Tabitha's already dead. He gets there, and it seems these Peter are familiar with Peter. These people are familiar with Peter. They've heard enough about him to know that he was in the area when their beloved Tabitha died. Sorry. And they've heard enough, it seems, to make a pretty bold assumption of Peter. They've lovingly washed Tabitha's body and placed it not in a grave, but in this upper room because they seem to be holding out this audacious hope that maybe she hasn't actually breathed her last breath. That maybe, just maybe, this is not her end and that there's resurrection to come. Peter arrives and he's taken into the home where Tabitha is laying and he's immediately surrounded with heavy grief and all of these people who loved this dear woman. The widows that she served and cared for, they come rushing up to Peter, holding out for him the garments that she made them. See, Peter, she loved us so much. She reminded us that we matter. She treated us with dignity. She provided for our needs. We had already lost so much, and we lived in this grief and this fear this uncertain future because we no longer had the provision of our husbands. We no longer had the protection. We no longer had our needs met. And Tabitha came to us and she made us clothes and she cared for us. She gave us beauty instead of ashes, a crown of glory instead of despair. But she died, Peter. Can you help her? Can you help us? And Peter looks across the room to where Tabitha's body is laying. And it feels familiar. He's been in a place like this before. An upper room where a beloved one is no longer breathing. See, Peter was there when his rabbi was summoned by Jairus to heal his daughter. He saw her body already dead when they arrived. He watched Jesus send all the other people out of the room and then approach the little girl, reach out and take her hand, and say, Talitha, kum, little girl, get up. Peter had already witnessed a moment like this. And now, in this upper room, he steps into the sandals of his savior and he imitates Jesus. Peter sends all the people out of the room. He approaches Tabitha and he kneels down and prays. And then he lifts his head and speaks, Tabitha, get up. And Tabitha opens her eyes and looks at Peter. He takes her by the hand and helps her up. And then it says he calls for all the believers, especially the widows, and presents her to them alive. Don't miss that one detail, especially the widows. In that intimate, hidden moment in an upper room where death, life has been brought back from death, Peter takes special care to attend to the widows, the ones who are so often just forgotten, the vulnerable ones, 
that a lot of people wouldn't have paid attention to. He takes special care to present their beloved friend back to them, restored, just as Jesus had told him to do, to honor and care for his people. You can almost hear Jesus whisper in that moment, Peter, do you love me? Then feed my sheep. And suddenly, this faithful woman, this humble disciple of Jesus, who devoted her life to quietly caring and providing for these poor widows, is given another chance to carry on in that work. And as a result of her restoration, the word spreads about what the power of God can do, and many people come to faith in Jesus. And here's the thing. If Tabitha hadn't died, and she hadn't become a character in this miraculous story of resurrection, nobody probably would have ever known her outside of Joppa. We would probably not know her name but she still would have mattered to those widows. That small acts of faithfulness in her life were not insignificant. Her humble imitation of Jesus had a profound impact. And in the kingdom of God, our simple, quiet, obscure acts of faithfulness are not insignificant. Our humble imitation of Jesus can have a profound impact in fact, it can lead to resurrection. And this, this is not a salvation by works gospel. This is not God helps those who help themselves. This is not try or work or believe hard enough and God will prosper you. This is a reflection of what we see in Galatians 6, verses 8 through 9. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from that flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from that Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Church, the good, humble, faithful work of our hands isn't a strategy to get eternal life. It's an outgrowth of loving Jesus, of imitating him. Because if we're doing that, we're allowing his spirit to transform us, make us more fully in his image. And resurrection is the realization of God's promises. Tabitha probably felt unseen as she just devoted herself in these quiet places to simple work, making clothes for people. There was nothing about sewing garments to cover these people with beauty that would have brought her any sort of public recognition. But her simple, quiet work affected her community so profoundly that they did not accept her end when it came, not without a desperate, wild hope for healing. And let me tell you, let Tabitha tell you, God sees you. How many of us sometimes feel like we are just doing this quiet work in obscurity? How many of us feel unseen? Maybe even question the significance of the things that we 
work at, the things that we set our hearts and our hands and our minds to because nobody really seems to notice. And is it even making a difference? God sees you. So even when you don't feel seen, keep teaching those kids who need a mentor in that city school that some people call rough. Keep doing that work of physical therapy that helps people strengthen and gain function in the bodies they have. Keep doing that hard work to serve the ones society doesn't want to be burdened by, the unhoused, the ones who struggle with addiction or incarceration. Keep changing the dirty diapers and feeding your babies. Keep studying into the wee hours of the night so you can earn the degree and then engage that good work you've been called to. Keep affirming the dignity of the person who stands in front of you when you're just standing at the checkout line ringing up their groceries. Keep choosing the narrow path, the path that upholds your integrity, the path that might come with a lower salary and less prestige, but produces good fruit. Keep bringing meals to your neighbors. Let's not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap harvest if we do not give up. Church, we were never meant to spend our time and efforts and resource in the pursuit of a bigger platform, greater influence, wider recognition, the applause of the crowd, and we'll never find life that way. But in the kingdom of God, all of our quiet, obscure, simple acts of faithfulness are not insignificant. Our humble imitation of Jesus can have a profound impact. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for meeting us in the quiet places, in the moments where we wonder if anyone sees us, if we're enough. Thank you for meeting us in the moments where we just question, where we doubt, where we feel confused. Remind us that you see us, that you love us, that you have created us with purpose. And that if we will simply follow in your footsteps, if we will humbly imitate your life and your heart and your work and let you transform us to be more like you. That that is enough. That we are loved by you and that you can speak your love to the people we encounter through those simple acts of faithfulness. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.